0: We are just under one month out from the release of one of the biggest video games of the year and unfortunately yet again I want to talk about video game crunch with this time, a very good friend of mine, Christo Avalis, a political YouTuber with a PhD in labor history, a video game lover and a fellow Canuck. Uh, Christo, thank you so much for joining me to talk a little bit about the state of labor in video games. Thanks for having me. So have you been following at all the uh, kind of meteoric rise of the cyberpunk 2077 game? Yeah,
1: no, certainly. I mean, I was a I was a fan of the the Witcher game, yeah. the, you know, Witcher three in particular, uh, and I generally like these you know open world RPG mm-hmm. type games, whether you know the Elder Scrolls and what have you. So, uh, just as a as a fan of video games, I've, I've been very excited for this game, and also, you know, I've sort of been you know, following the the, the the discourse around crunch, whether mm-hmm. it's about this game, but also even here in Canada with Ubisoft and other studios, they've gone through recent controversies with yeah. crunch over the last couple of years. So, you know, when I heard that, you know, they would not be doing crunch, but then sort of backtracked on that decision. I mean, I was disappointed, but not necessarily surprised mm-hmm. because most major projects seem to go through a crunch period.
0: Yeah, so you're referring to there the initial assessment from the CEO, I think last year of CD Projekt Red, saying to Dracian Schreier, who's advocated and um, investigated crunch in the video game industry for years now, that they're planning a system that will ensure no crunch for their uh, workers, whether or not it was through changing allocation of resources, what have you. And then a little while ago, we were able to find out that unfortunately they are reneging on that initial bargain and no, there will be six day work weeks in at the very least the last month. And this actually goes in line with some of the earlier information from people who have left CG Project Red that have accused the company being a culture of blame, that it really seemed to be of uh, who you know in order to get ahead. And the interesting criticism here is that CD Project Red is, in many ways, kind of the, the darling of of the video game industry. You mentioned Ubisoft before. There has always been a little bit of residual hate towards Ubisoft, just even for some of the uh, choices they made in their game design, EA, those sort of things. But CD Projekt Red could do no wrong. And now that they have been identified of doing some wrong here, there is a big backlash of people unhappy with this uh, addition to the experience of cyberpunk, the little sprinkling of crunch that happened behind it. And so much so that there is in fact a new report from the Game Informer podcast that uh, I think really expertly conveys a position in the crunch conversation that I wanna talk about today. So here's a clip from a recent Game Informer podcast.
2: Everyone I've talked to that's over there has not seen it as a crunch um and from what i'm understanding is that there was it wasn't just a random drop of this is now mandatory from what i understand is it was that there was a discussion beforehand about weighing the different options did i talk to every single person that cd project read no but there's another important part of this that i really feel like doesn't get addressed and especially with a lot of those like kind of not clickbait but like deliberately inflammatory headlines is that it, it it's it's i don't know i'm i'm kind of it, it's, it's a complicated kind of, issue it's a complicated issue and the fact that the day that they went gold the conversation came back in flux and i've talked to a couple of the devs that said they weren't they were like so excited to share people the news that it was gold and one person directly told me she was like i'm almost scared to sound proud of what we did she's like i'm scared of what people are going to say if i say i'm proud of the work we did and you shouldn't be scared to say what you've done. And this was a long, this thing has been in production for how long you earn the right to be proud of what you did. You earned the right. Do you feel burnt out? Do you feel taken advantage of? And she said, no. And I'm like, then be proud, like be excited, celebrate this, pop open that the champagne and freaking celebrate because uh, there's a time and a place, uh, uh, you know, to talk about these conversations and you can have these very important conversations without completely, Taking a crap on the entire effort that went into these games because crunch, the burst of of of, of production and productivity, it's not new. Um, it needs to be heavily monitored, but the conversation should not overtake everything.
0: So, by an, in no means does one statement indicate one's position for life you know I've, I've had a chance to speak to some of the people who were on that podcast that admit that it's it's nuanced and complicated but that idea that there is a time and a place to discuss crunch i think reads a little bit like uh both sides is what do you think about that Christelle?
1: yeah i mean i i often think that whether it's about this or many other political issues you know uh locally or globally, that you know, often an argument against actually talking about them at all is to suggest now in particular is not the time. Whenever there's a tragedy in the United States, for instance, mm-hmm. often the argument will be, well, we can't talk about it right now because to talk about it right now would be a disservice to those and their loved ones affected by the tragedy. and it's politicizing it and trying to be opportunistic. yet, Often the precise time to talk about something when you want to affect that change is when people are actually focused on the issue at hand. And that might well mean that this is the precise time Mm -hmm. to talk about cancel, uh, excuse me, crunch culture. When, uh, you know, a a major studio that made a promise to not do it has reneged on that promise and is now doing it. Mm -hmm. And this is the time to talk about it, not six months from now when the game is out and the the discourse around that that culture has subsided now is the time to talk about it and and i understand that it's not the only story of course Mm -hmm. but it is a key one and this is the the moment to to really center it in the discourse because it's you know a game about to come out and historically in gaming culture in the gaming workplace You know, the the last few weeks or months of a game before release are usually mired by this hyper intense crunch period of work, which causes many, you know, emotional, mental, Mm -hmm. physical issues with a lot of the workers in those industries.
0: Yeah, it is really upsetting to believe that you care so much about the video game industry, because I I believe... Absolutely, truly that the people talking there have a love and devotion for this industry as a whole and the people working in it. I think that it is a very insidious position, though, to advocate that we shouldn't be talking about this because now it's time to celebrate. There's a time and a place for it. And the biggest issue that I have with that, before we get into more of the specifics and maybe how to adequately deal with crunch, is that that position allows the average consumer that wants to be a part of the culture an opportunity to care just a little bit less about these human rights abuses, which is what they are for the people that are working in these positions. It gives you as the consumer an opportunity To enjoy the product without this little asterisk, and I get it, I understand the need for that because we said here before, you know, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, so it's very difficult to just always be stuck in that mire of having the weight of everything you do and the the moral implications of it. And these people are giving us an out to say, you know, people, these developers aren't feeling pride on the release so now we have another emotional reason to maybe disregard some of the claims that were brought up previous about crunch because look these this is the emotions of the developers now if you really cared about the developers why would you take this away from them and for me like i said before a claim like that is more damaging and insidious than someone who you know maybe is more right-wing that adopts a position these people get paid a hundred thousand dollars a year in some cases you know they should be working hard I work at a job I get paid half that and I have to work 15 hour days most days so why should they get any special treatment that position of just deliberate otherism is something you can kind of tell and you can uh, understand this position that we're hearing today though, that you need to help them celebrate and let's just all calm down. I think is more pervasive. I think a lot of people think this way and I think it's really damaging because like you said, Christo, if we don't take the opportunity now when people are excited, to have a critical lens of what this type of workplace procedure does for the people working there, when are we gonna do it? When are we gonna to try to make this analysis?
1: Yeah, no, I mean I I, I I I totally agree. I think the the challenge is that this 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 viewpoint does allow in a sense people to, you know, I guess almost use context as a tool to sort of sidestep the story. And there's nothing wrong with a journalist or a reporter or a commentator looking at multiple perspectives and in any if anything it's it's the right thing to do, but there there are times where you know you see a story, it's a clear story of injustice and that's mm-hmm. what crunch culture is. And trying to find all these like nooks and crannies, a few anecdotes here, you know, suggesting that maybe this was a decision that the workers supported there. You know, these sorts of things which maybe can be cast as, well actually the story is more quote unquote complicated than than it's being reported on by certain, you know, aspects or certain elements of the gaming industry. When in reality, all they're doing is sort of leaving a reader with, you know, less sense of what's happening Mm. and and, as as a manner to get the person to say, well, I don't really know what's happening here. I guess I can't really know. I guess I'll just have to assume that both sides have a point, that both sides are right and wrong, and I'll leave it at that. Mm. And that's a great way that somebody could hypothetically, at least you know, really neutralize an important story without taking a position directly against it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that, that I think uh, we have to be, I guess, vigilant for. And and it's, sometimes it's not even always uh, a conscious effort yep. by the person, but in a, in doing a story where, you know, you, you d- develop all this context, but don't actually still drill down to the fact that there is a correct, or incorrect way to view this story mm-hmm. and the correct way is crunch culture is wrong even if some workers you know engage in it quasi voluntarily at least within their own their own mindset and, and 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 you know suggesting otherwise i think is problematic
0: yeah no I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there of that the intention by a lot of these people with this position of you know we just need to celebrate it's a time and a place isn't necessarily, not even malicious, but intended to undermine. But when it's presented in this way, it kind of negates the previous information that was set up. So I think that in this case, uh, that's what's happening. I don't think it's intentional. People are just trying to fill out other information. But information, especially when it comes to ones relating to previous reporting, doesn't have value unless it's attributed, in my opinion at least, to a moral understanding of the issue or like you said Christo it just muddies the waters and one of the issues that I think really muddied the water in this latest reporting was the idea that they kind of came to a collective decision that this Polish studio asked the people working there and that they agreed to go back to a six day work week now there was some indication earlier that uh, CD Projekt Red does have a 10% profit share after the fact with their games which is I guess great great, but still doesn't, you know, ameliorate the issues in terms of that uh, workers voting on something together in your experience, looking at kind of collectivism in in workplaces and, and that statement, how true, how freeing is a worker able to dissent in that situation based on what you've, uh, you know, researched and looked at?
1: Well, I mean, my view is that this is at least somewhat a false choice. I mean, certainly, if true, because again, maybe this is, this the, 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 it was it was a quasi-demand, but in, in reality, or it was a quasi-ask, but in reality, management was demanding it. I, I was, of course, not in the room. But mm. in the sense that workers are being given a choice, it is better than simply being told by decree. But outside of like a formalized process where demands are made, and people are allowed to, you know, have significant time and independence to think of the decision. It, it wouldn't surprise me that more than a few workers might go along with the, the the crowd on the issue, even though they have reservations, personal, professional, what have you, mm-hmm. with the overwork. Maybe they feel that it's taking time away from their families. Maybe they feel the crunch Will lower the quality of their work. They might get the work done faster, but uh, you know, working that sixth day, that extra few hours means that the average quality of every hour will drop, and they have concerns in that regard. And there's no real way to voice that in such a context. And I think that what this shows me is that there—it's just another reason why you know unionization is needed in this industry, and mm-hmm. often. You know, there are a lot of perceptions about unions that are rooted in a historical conception of of what people think of unions, which is that they represent a predominantly blue collar workforce in a highly automated and regimented industry, like, let's say, an assembly line worker. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you know, unions have have been designed and modeled, at least in 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 the recent decades, off workplaces that are far more similar to you know, video game studios where you're dealing with white collar professionals that allow flexibility both individually and collectively, and I think that for instance, I, I've seen lots of collective agreements, uh, you know, in in say the academia yeah. or in um, the the administrative side of universities where, where my wife has done some work in union representation, where there is a full recognition that there are some periods of the year. Uh, whether it's because students are back or whether it's because your your department has a big event where you'll have to work many hours that week. You might have to work six days that week. You might have to put 50 hours in instead of 35, 40 hours in that week. But there are procedures about how that's determined, procedures about how the extra compensation will be paid to you, whether it's in money or an increased vacation time. And it's set up in a manner to acknowledge the needs of flexibility in the workplace, which I get, because if there are issues with your product, you you might need to work on the fly. But it allows workers a formalized process to understand how that's implemented. And currently in a non-unionized environment, even if you could just gather everyone in a room to have a quick up or down vote, do you want to do the crunch period? I don't know if that's going to get an accurate representation. Whereas in a collectively bargained process, there's a clear, you know, from the outset, from the start of a project, you'll know if we ever do something that's akin to crunch, here's why it'll happen and here's how it'll work. And here are the disincentives to the employer to do it whether it's overtime pay whether it's uh more vacation time whether in this case for example it could be if you force crunch on us uh we get 15 percent profit share instead of 10. you know these are things that could be demanded and give the workers more say and and, and, a, and a greater sense of security about how crunch will be implemented
0: if at all i think in in the video game development case uh unionization would really work to help developers almost fight against themselves and their own inclinations we talk about creative industries a lot and this uh this story of of crunch and where the developers are happy to do it has been uh, going through the wires today as i say and it's interesting to hear from a lot of developers that said that they weren't even really aware that they were implementing crunch for themselves and their colleagues because there is in many cases such a shared love of making games that much better. A video game is always going to be an unfinished product. There will always be more that you can do to perfect it. So for people that are involved in the creative process, being creative can be something that is never ending. So having a formal structure that is above yourself, even your creative indulgences is important because it stops us from pushing ourselves and others To a point creatively that will, if given time, will never end. If CD Projekt Red had 10 more years to make Cyberpunk 2077, they would use that time and the game would be that much better. But understanding the limitations we need to place on ourselves as a creative industry, I think is really important because there is this idea of hype and this idea of almost the magic of video game development and the comments that we heard by game informer, I think, really feed into that cultural issue. For me, it's the thing I need to fight the most against in the video game industry. Because so much of what is created is wonderful and magical and and it does things that I don't think other mediums can do. But Mm -hmm. recognizing that it's created by people that work the same sort of jobs that anyone else who has a job works, is a line that I don't think a lot of people who love video games always bring themselves down to earth with because it allows them in my opinion at least to get super excited about a thing to the point of forgetting the human hands that are involved so that Beyond you know collective bargaining and, and the needs of that and making sure there isn't crunch, trying to save this industry from eating itself and creating these things that are impossible to finish is really what I am looking for the most. And and again, why I feel like the thoughts by Game Informer are that insidious, because it feeds the notion that these issues aren't as important as the hype around a game and if you really cared about the hype of the game listen to these anecdotal things of developers you know this isn't the time to talk about this but like we said the time and place is right now to talk about crunch and I don't think we'll get another opportunity once this game comes out and uh it's amazing so uh Christo if we if we did really want to push this idea of fighting crunch we talked about just trying to get some unionization the steps to make that happen though are at least in my case of being in media and in radio almost seem like an impossible task to to get started
1: well i mean a couple things there i think you're right in noting that in a sense whether it's the workers themselves or whether it's the consumers there is this like idealization of mm-hmm. certain types of work and i think whether whether we're talking about say journalism or academics or or even uh you know video game creators and other artists or frankly even a lot of like you know those of us on youtube there's a sense yeah. that you know the work is special the work is somewhat at least disconnected from the the grind of a of a traditional quote unquote job and i think that often blinds consumers to the realities of what's happening but also blinds the workers themselves and I mean if you look in academia so many people are overworked and undercompensated, yeah uh, and it's all sort of tolerated by those people and by everyone else because there's a sense that the work has this value that the, the, the work itself is fulfilling and it creates this sort of context and I definitely think that it is a great privilege to do a lot of these things. It's, it's incredibly privileged to be able to, you know, work on, on, on things that feed your passion. But that shouldn't come at the expense of, you know, your basic rights. And I think yeah. one thing to note here is that is that in, in the video game industry, as well as many other, you know, under-unionized industries... Uh, A good chunk of them, the issues are far less bread and butter than in other industries. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important to realize. You know, when we talk about unionizing, say, service workers at a McDonald's, I mean, a big part of it is like those people need more money, like they just need more money to survive. Mm -hmm. But in other industries, it may well be the case that the compensation isn't at core the issue. Maybe it's not commensurate to the work being done. But, you know, if you earn, say, you know, in the low six figures, yeah, you, you might have a comfortable life. Mm-hmm. But y- the issues for you are work-life balance, yeah. nepotism in the workplace, harassment in the workplace, um, discrimination in the workplace. Mm-hmm. The issues might be trying to find a balance between individuality and, and and setting baselines in the workplace. And, you know, one thing I think is that unions do need to do a better job at selling A model of unionization that works in these industries and you are seeing growing success at unionizing white-collar workers in the United States and Canada at least because these workers have been often sheltered historically from the ravages of neoliberalism Mm. but not anymore right Not (laughs) anymore these these jobs are are being outsourced they're being deregulated like a lot of you know blue-collar and and, and, you know pink-collar working-class people have faced since the seventies or eighties. And it's now hitting software developers and academics and, and lawyers and, and, and and all sorts of other people. And more and more of them are looking to unionization. But I think you have to sell that vision of unionization that, that recognizes the type of industry. And I think for instance, like you can look to a collective agreement for an auto worker and, and, where the salaries are very quickly determined and very rigidly determined by service and by those sorts of things. And I've heard people in you know, tech t- style industry suggest, well, we want you know something that recognizes our individual achievements. But of course, if you look at the um, collective agreements of most university faculty associations, they more work to set baselines, baselines in salary, vacation, you know protections for workers but they also allow for merit pay and they also allow for bonuses based on productivity and things like that and i think that these are the sorts of industries that that need that collectivism but don't necessarily need it to fundamentally change the style of work they do mm. and i think that that's a model of unionization that i can think would be quite successful because the way a union works in a gm factory will not be the way it works at CJ, cd project red or at ubisoft or what have you but a union the way it works in you know faculty associations might be rather uh, transferable and i think that you know that's something that needs to needs to be looked at well that that uh, in is terms fascinating of how it gets done yep. i mean there's yeah. challenges right i mean with cd project Red in particular neither of us are experts on polish labor law right so <laughs> what? i don't know the process of of union formation in Poland, Christo, no, that's
0: no. why i wanted you here i thought yeah. that was what
1: <laughs> but you know here in canada i mean you know uh, and in the united states there are barriers to forming unions uh, in the united states to have right to work legislation which can make it rather difficult and in both canada and the united states the lack of card check certification means that um you know there even if you get a a majority of workers to express a desire to form a union there's a crucial window in which a quote-unquote secret ballot vote can be uh you know demanded and that might seem democratic but really it's just a last gasp window for the Mm. employer to disincentivize unionization so there are lots of issues here Um, But I do think that one of the things that the labor movement has to do is to build a unionism that works for these workers. Because again, going back, and and I'm not going to make this a history lesson, it used to be that all the unions were like the the guild style unions where... You were like an electrician or a plumber or a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, and like you had a guild, right? Like, and and you, your union set the terms of your employment uh, as you sold your labor on a piecemeal basis. But that didn't work for the big factories being built in the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. and 40s. And so they invented a new kind of unionism, which was like, we have 30,000 guys at this plant. They all basically do the same thing. We can have a one-size-fits-all collective agreement. But that's not going to work for video game industries. And yeah. so you need to meet people where they are and find what's a collective bargaining regime going to look like for 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 people in the gaming industry. And it might not be one-size-fits-all. What works for QA people might yeah. be different than what works for for developers. And there's so many
0: different sizes too, when it comes to video game development firms and and publishing units, it's such a multifaceted business. I I really loved what you're talking about of, of trying to change the conversation of what unionization can represent, that it doesn't have to be the same for GM factories as it is for CD Projekt Red. Culturally though, for the people that celebrate these video game industries, I think that one of the biggest steps is removing that sense of hype that admittedly the video game publishers and developers tried to cultivate in order to get us obsessed with these franchises and create, you know, this brand loyalty that is uh, on the risk of being damaging, but addressing that Christo i think is a really big first step just to make sure that the information that you're saying doesn't fall on deaf ears specifically to the video game industry
1: yeah i mean m- m- it's hard right because yeah. i mean you get excited for things i mean i get hyped <laughs> for certain video games maybe not as much as i did when i was when i was a bit younger but you know i'm mm-hmm. still like i play i'm a, i'm a gamer right and i yeah. do get hyped for video games and I think as you note like it is something that that really you know it's a medium that's kind of unlike no other I mean there Mm. are parallels to, to to television and other things but it really is something special and I think it's it's about letting people be aware of the nature of the industry and like the costs of that hype. You're not going to get rid of it fully. And again, Mm -hmm. I think you have to be tactical about it and reasonable about it. One, as you note, you know, the the line, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, meaning that, you know, we all have to live our lives. We have to be able to enjoy things. But also, you don't want to turn your movement for social justice into something that can be seen accurately or not, fairly or not, as just buzzkill. Yes, like you don't want to make your, your oh. fight for justice be seen as um, yeah. as being a, a buzzkill. I think, Crystal, so that think is like
0: that is the big one of the biggest issues right now for people trying to talk about, you know, workers rights in the video game industry is the idea that as a consumer, because this is such a consumption based. Um, relationship when it comes to video games the limits of what we can do have a lot to do with that false dichotomy of whether or not you pay for games or or celebrate them whether or not you're going to buy the product that is this video game and if you ever have any advocacy against that because of these injustices the idea of being labeled as a buzzkill is always a part of the conversation so I just I would love to know because I don't think the answer in the video game industry, not buying the game. I don't think that ever necessarily works in most cases, but specifically the video game industry, I think it really doesn't work. I would love, and again, we're not gonna solve it right now, but how do we try to advocate for workers' rights and you know people seeing video game industries as workplaces while not being a buzzkill to the magical ending products that we get?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I I, I think calls for boycotts should be rare. Yeah. Like for for me, one thing I would always boycott is if I, I don't support scab labor. So if a, 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 a developer was unionized and then had workers on strike and then you produced a project with scab labor, I wouldn't do it. Like, you know, for instance, last even last year when the, the uh, t- uh, public uh, tech workers at the Toronto FC soccer Mm -hmm. team at the stadium at the exhibition grounds were on strike. My wife and I had tickets to the soccer game, but refused to cross the picket line because to do so would be relying on scab labor. So that would be a hard line for me. And even and I have no issue being a buzzkill in that context. But, you know, I think it's clear here that, you know, crunch culture is not ideal, but it's not necessarily a call to boycott the work. Yeah. And I think what you should note here, and what we could note here is that, you know, us criticizing crunch culture isn't trying to make workers feel ashamed for their work. We're not calling for a boycott. At least yeah, you that, and I aren't. Yeah. They're that, uh, not calling you're, for people to not play the
0: I'm talking over you there. But I just I think that is so essential. I think it needs to be yeah, highlighted even more that discussions of this like are not meant to stop the enthusiasm of those making games. It's specifically because there is a love and celebration. I go back to this isn't the time or the place. It is a time or the place for the same reasons that the people at Game Informer feel compelled to worry about uh, the pride of these developers in you know the criticisms of uh, the the reporting around um, crunch culture. The same feelings that they have, an inclination of, of protecting that, is I think we're coming from the same place. That we care so much about the developers and the work that they do that I don't want to take away from their accomplishments. I want to celebrate it and not have to deal with that same ethical quandary. I want to all be on the same side so sorry please continue
1: yeah no but i think like kind of like on that point i think you could say various things like you know for instance if 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 we all recognize crunch as not ideal it it can it's not necessarily even just from a labor perspective but as i've noted uh you know rushed work is rarely the best work right and i think there is something to be said for you know, uh, crunch culture potentially at least leading to uh, these issues. And I think one of the things we've seen in modern game development is games get shipped out and they're not done yet, Yeah. right? They're not done. Like games are often shipped and they're not done Uh, and they're full of bugs and they're not very fun to play at the beginning. And it's like, you know, maybe they should have just taken some more time, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that if there's anybody spitting on the quality of the work Of of the developers in those cases who put so much work into the writing and art design and and systems and all those sorts of things it's it's a corporation that needs to rush out the artistic product for shareholders or to hit the Christmas window or what have you Mm -hmm. and that's what takes what might be an otherwise brilliant project uh, which is turned into a consumer product and the artistic value is ruined and that's not necessarily allowing the developers to take pride in their work because it's being rushed Mm -hmm. you might also suggest that you know we can say it's not time to talk about crunch period because we want the workers to take pride in it but there's been more than a few times that you know crunch has been used as a as a tool to wring out the last bits of labor from your workforce Mm -hmm. before laying them all off right after oh, the game comes out. Even if it's and not I'm that not direct,
0: suggest- it's it's the developers that go through these crunch cycles and they say you can maybe do three, four games and then you have to leave the industry. So if you care about this industry as a whole and don't want to have that brain drain, we need to covet and hold these little developers a little bit like baby birds like we all are because it is tough out there to work in these sort of environments. So I, I think that for me, Coming to this from a position of empathy is always going to be vital when dealing with uh, with labor issues and creative issues, but specifically, I don't think that cyberpunk 2077 should be boycotted. I don't think that it should. No, no, I'm definitely yeah. going to
1: play the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> I, I, said, I think it's that gonna be great. I'm sure I'm trying sure be to good. highlight
0: those injustices that maybe some of the workers had and in your criticism of it or, or acknowledgement of it, analyze certain aspects. Like maybe they didn't need to crunch so hard to make sure that, you know, the physics on the dog's balls was specifically the most, realistic you know also looking at these works and trying to parse you know where we as a consumer maybe don't need it as much uh to that same level is for me i think a more um operative way of trying to criticize this huge cultural issue of crunch, than just boycotting and being like, no, nah, no, nah, no nah, poo, poopoo. You know, don't forget this game had uh, bad people doing bad things, but trying to be more critical, uh, have a critical eye and relate that and just be more aware. I think ultimately will work so much better than just saying, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just celebrate, you know? Yeah, no, agreed. 100%. All right. So, Thank you very much, Chris. You said agreed, so I thought that would be a good time just to yeah. end it while it was enough. So I was up. So I guess, yeah. No, ultimately, um, there are different positions here. I, I we've identified one thing that is kind of unique to the creative industry is the idea of hype and the uh, the culture of people pushing themselves for the work itself and the consumers who also embrace that kind of culture. So I I love a lot of the stuff you talked about of how this needs to be different, how unionization is not what we typically think. Like we said, we have some ideas about how to address the uh, the issues of what that hype does to people, you know, any any kind of closing thoughts just to people that maybe have been listening, got this way through and still really aren't convinced on the need for unionization for these video games that they just love so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly I think that you know, if if we want to allow workers to take pride in their work or if we want to take pride in them. You know, you have to not just look at the final product, but the process that goes into it. And mm-hmm. not just the labor process, but like the emotional process. And I think that the best way, you you know, you could take pride in an industry is to know that not only are the final products fantastic. And, and again, I think I think this game is going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it personally, but mm-hmm. to know that. You know, every step of the way, uh, whether it's in compensation, work-life balance, maybe you know, uh, more democratic input from the workers—that that everyone felt good making this product—and I mm-hmm. think that that's something that we—I don't know if we can fully say about an industry yet that mm-hmm. uh, like this—and and, I—and I think that's what we have to get towards—and that's how you really allow workers and everyone else to take pride in these products.
0: There we go. Thank you so much again. Christo Avalis, political YouTuber, PhD, labor history. You can find him online. If you are looking for any of those uh, leftist takes on the news of the day on YouTube. And, uh, he and I actually are, are in the works of kind of making something uh, a little bit special. We're starting a new project, a weekly podcast, providing kind of a leftist Canadian perspective, how the country works and the goings on there. So please, uh, Check it out. The links to what I mentioned here will be uh there on the description. That's the word I'm looking for. Christo, thank you so much. Thanks again. And finally, I do want to hear from you. If you are gritting your teeth through this entire thing, if you listened for this long and are just furious and want to spew hate, please do so below. Or if you know you've listened and think, you know, this is not how unions thought please, I want to hear from you, but those are the only two sides I want to hear from. Nothing else. Mandy (laughs) Bukowski for VGS.